0: You're listening to www.StraightIndieRadio.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chat Fridays. We are sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse to give voice to families and students and our community on all matters of education. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. And it has been a tough week around here. It's been a rough week. The death of Judson Album last week at the hands of law enforcement officers during his mental health crisis highlights several systemic issues that plague families across Onondaga County. And families have been fighting to correct these issues for years. These are also problems that have an impact on families here in the Syracuse City School District. Now, Josh, I, my, my guest today is Joshua Michael King. And Josh, you were close with the family and you knew Judson. And this has all of us reeling. Uh, we're gonna be kinda low key today because we are all still in shock over this tragedy that has come home to our community. Josh, I want you to talk a little bit about Judson and how this impacts our our community.
0: Yeah. Good evening, everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Samantha Parents for Public Schools, and of course, www.straightindieradio.com. I'm Joshua Michael King. I'm the CEO and founder of the Academy of Excellence, Incorporated. Uh, you can learn more about us at www.weareexcellence.com. Don't forget the dashes. Um, Samantha, first and foremost, thank you uh, for all of your work uh, in these last couple of days. Uh, this tragedy is something that clearly hits very close to home. Uh, we went back and forth as to whether or not we should even do tonight's episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, Judson would, would, would likely want that to, to occur. So, my relationship with uh the myers album family is uh lengthy of course uh, i am a graduate of james DeWitt high school uh where carissa myers uh attended and uh from there after graduation came uh three beautifully uh fabulous children uh through her through her marriage uh Judson being the first um To really speak about him would really draw a lot of emotions. Uh, What I'll say is this, uh, as Carissa reflected in in her statement uh, just the other day, uh, Judson was such a sweet, sweet boy. Uh, Very, very loving, very kind. Um, but, as his mom indicated, um, you know the mental health really uh took over uh, and, and has essentially now caused a seventeen year old child to to lose his life uh, again i my my most sincere condolences go out to to the family, uh, particularly his younger sister uh, and younger brother, uh, Jakes, who also, uh, of course, uh, struggles with some similar uh, diagnoses as, as, as uh, Jetson. So tonight's episode really is in honor of them. Uh, I know that they are watching. Uh, you know, thank you very much for for trusting myself and some of my team and our tribe uh, to represent you in this most very difficult time uh, for us all. Uh, oh, not too long ago, uh, Carissa experienced uh, what every every parent's nightmare really truly is, uh, and that's your child not coming home. No. No parent should ever, ever have to, to bury their child, and, and certainly not this way.
1: We have joining us, she's just getting into the, the Zoom, Amelia Scandalis. She's another close friend of the family, and she's been working hard all week to share the voice of the family and to talk about <sighs> solutions and ways that we can help protect our children and make sure that our children in crisis get home. Now, this, this crisis is something that happened in one of the suburbs around the city of Syracuse. You know, quiet country, stuff like this isn't supposed to happen there. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's supposed to happen in the city, but it happened in the country. And Children in Syracuse are just as vulnerable to this kind of to these kinds of incidences as the children living around us in the suburbs and my question for for both of you, Josh and Amalia, knowing the family and knowing the work that we do do we really have a good handle, a good understanding? on how important it is to provide mental health resources to our community, especially to our youth, especially knowing that we're in the middle of a youth mental health crisis that is being exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. Amalia, I'll start with you.
2: (sighs) This This is such a hard topic. Yeah, um, because not only were we so completely deficient before COVID hit happened and before mm-hmm. Judson was killed and before any of uh, any of the things in the last year. I mean, we're talking decades worth of, of I'm going to just use the word negligence at this point. We're not providing these services in Onondaga County um, County Executive Ryan McMahon needs to reopen the outpatient mental health facilities. period. Like period, I'd like the use of the mall. I'd like use that, we, uh, we have buildings, we're giving tax breaks upon tax breaks upon tax breaks. We can't hold Destiny Mall and Pyramid Group, uh, develop, Pyramid Development Group, let me speak correctly and slowly here before I start to get too mad too quickly. Um, and unfortunately, like it's a very upsetting conversation because you have these contracts, in communities in Onondaga County that's responsible for real estate. Hmm. Um, You have decisions, you have contractual agreements to provide security for a structure that you're asking permission to operate on our tax dollars. And by providing no taxes, you give no money to the arts, you give no money to schools, you give no money to, to creative youth programming you give no money to summer programs, you give no money to anything for these kids to do anything and get up off these streets and act like we're not causing the problem that we're in. We're causing the problem that we're in. I don't know Mm. how else to say that. They've caused the problem that we're in. They've caused the problem between the community and police officers. They caused that. They put officers in charge of babies. They shouldn't. And I'm not entering the conversation at this is policy, protocol, and procedure. We need to enter the conversation when Judson was eight years old Mm. and got a diagnosis. And then there were so many people in between. And the fact that we're having conversations to push to reopen schools, let me back up and just calm down just a little bit. So we're pushing to reopen schools. The county executive has taken it upon himself to now be a school policy writer, forcing this policy proposal on our schools that's giving our parents, what, two choices on a survey, go or don't go. I I prefer hybrid. I prefer six feet. I would like safety. There's a whole bunch of things. So this is what he's taking his time doing. While he's garnishing public sympathy, saying, Look at my symptoms, poor me, I was sick with COVID. This is so bad. I'm sorry, County Executive, I agree with you. This is probably so bad. Why are you underhandedly writing policies for our schools to force our children closer together, to do more things that are putting our children at risk, more things that are failing our kids, that are causing real damages? I'm having conversations right now within my own school district about eye problems. I sent my daughter home with a note or into school with a note today because she only has two days of of on campus, Um, especially until they reduce to three feet. I will not be able to do that as a high risk family. Mine will have to be come home. Um, I think that'll just be a different conversation. Right. So I sent in a note. She's not to use electronic devices today. She can't look at a screen anymore. I have photos of her eye completely bloodshot. They're causing these damages on our children. They're causing them. They're negligent and they're intentional and they're causing it. And I don't know how else
1: to say that. I want to go back to the point that you mentioned that the point where things kind of went off the rails was at the point when Judson got his diagnosis. (sighs) Now, getting a diagnosis of autism of oppositional defiant disorder. I hate that diagnosis. We'll talk about that later. But getting a diagnosis is the door to services. And it doesn't seem like that is what happened. Now, we've already talked on Fireside Chat Fridays about how much of a battle it is for families in lots of different districts all over the country to get appropriate services for their children who have a diagnosis, they have a paper trail. Everybody knows that this child needs help, but it's still an uphill battle to get those services. And I right. gathered, and I gather that that was the case for Judson as well. How do we fix that, especially here in Syracuse, where we're chronically underfunded? where the district has been out of compliance with the Individuals uh, with Disabilities Education Act for at least 14 years, how do we move the needle on making sure that students like Judson, students like my children, students like so many children across the district, 20% of the students in Syracuse City School District have a diagnosis, they have an IEP. How do we move the needle on making sure that these children get what they need? Josh? You know,
0: Sam, I think that that is the question of the hour, right? I think that certainly none of us struggle to identify where these gaps exist, right? Uh, At the Academy of Excellence, we are working on uh, three, three things, right? We address and we develop policy, Programming and productions. And all of those things really speak to some of these gaps that we see in the community side, right? And being able to support and uplift young people. But in regard to where, you know, the experiences of Judson, right? Or, or as you mentioned, your, your children or my own, even. Um, it really is noticeable most often around middle school uh and, and so, in addition to the work that I'm doing in the community, I'm taking it a step further, and of course uh was not designated for for commissioner of education at s e s d but most recently, we all participated in the opportunity to examine the budget uh and of course, try to balance the budget uh from my calculations i ended with nearly $500,000 of a surplus. Now, that's not to say that that's not going to take away from other places, right? And so when you're asking, how do we fix this? We invest in the things that are missing, right? We're missing Mental health, we're missing para professionals. We are now missing millions of dollars worth of contracts to places like peaceful schools or a red house or these programs that really uh, again support and uplift from the inside. But we're not going far enough, right? We we bring in people uh, such as myself, right? I, I was a substitute teacher, I came in from the outside to come and, and work. What we need to do is of course reduce some of the overhead that we spend on administrators. Right? We have plenty of those. What we don't have are, are people who are qualified and capable of addressing some of the most severe traumas that I've ever seen in my life, right? Mm. We have young people who are dealing with day-to-day traumas, right, in neighborhoods
1: <clears> that are
0: safe. We're dealing with traumas of losses like my own household. You know, my my children suffer from tremendous traumas that are related to death, right? And here we've had just another one. And then, of course, that circles us back to, you know, diagnosable uh uh diseases and disorders such as autism right such as uh oppositional uh defiance disorder and the list goes on and on and what i can say is this and perhaps amalia can attach to this when i'm done our teachers are not necessarily fully capable of understanding right what these traumas mean and how they influence the environment the culture of our schools, right? How uh, we could see in a classroom how one child, one child's, you know, anger can trigger another child's yes. trauma and sadness, and and then from that sadness is triggering another child's reaction to become, you know, withdrawn. We watch yes. these things constantly in our schools and in our and within the community. And the short answer really is we have to invest directly. Directly into counselors, into mental health therapists, psychologists, as well as some of and maintaining the contracts that we have with organizations uh, and building more bridges with organizations. You know, like the one the 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 three of us, of course, have been building for the last year. Amalia, mm-hmm. your thoughts?
2: I think that. Um the intersectionality of a lot of this stuff is boiling over. Um, And you're right, it has a lot to do with understanding the community of which you serve and where you live and where you do your work. Absolutely. Um, When we're dealing of compounded issues of trauma and mental health, and I want to make sure that, that we were clear when we're discussing, you know, Judson in the context, because this wasn't just a mental health crisis. He had a developmental disability and there's a large difference.
0: Also, individuals with
2: developmental disabilities aren't capable of making fully informed decisions when it comes to things that would violate laws. Now, keeping in mind, he didn't violate a law to begin with to be pursued no. with legal force. And there was no sizable offense committed. Let's just yes. put that over here. So and even next, I like what,
1: your point about Um, people with developmental disabilities, part of their disability is that they sometimes struggle to Hmm. read the social cues, to read the norms, to to understand all the things that everybody else thinks are common sense and easy to figure out. They struggle with that on a daily basis. (sighs) When they're in crisis, when they're in crisis and scared and terrified, that ability... Is completely gone. So it's 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 concerning that that people are expecting children in crisis to act as if they are not.
2: Exactly, children in general, let alone an individual with a developmental disability. Like it's a child, and it's an individual with a developmental disability. You know, and I think it goes back to just people having a complete misunderstanding of mental health as a whole unit. Um, how to service these children. It has to do with preparedness. I myself am duly qualified as a K-12 visual and performing arts teacher with a master's degree and a master's degree in early childhood and special education. So I've had over 15 years of experience working with children like Judson, like many children in our community with these severe and multiple disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not normal teacher training. This is not higher education training. There's not a co-degree teachers are required to have training. They have no idea how to deal Mm -hmm. with individuals like this in a normal teacher training program. I am qualified because I took that whole extra. I don't even know how many thousands of dollars I stopped counting. Just take my (laughs) payment. You know, the degrees are, are the things that give you the information. Little professional developments when you're talking about cultural awareness, when you're talking about how to deal with children with special needs, when you're talking about how to use technology, they can't be these little teacher professional Mm -hmm. development, that's what we get as teachers, you get your little card. And oh, we can go to the Marriott and pick from a list of menu options of which professional development I'd like to to participate in. On the school board, it was very similar. On my work with the school board with the East Syracuse Manoa District, um, when we would have school board professional developments, there were a lot of very interesting legal developments. We couldn't even get into the ones that we wanted to necessarily take, they were so busy. But these are the only ways that this information is getting disseminated to teachers and to school board members. And to mm. districts and then to parents, and then forget the community that doesn't understand to begin with. You're not supposed to talk about it. You're not, it's a stigma around it, right? I mean, yeah. there's so many interconnected levels. But my youngest student who died in Syracuse City School District was eight years old. His okay. brother was 10 years old and thought it was a toy. We're back to the same conversation we thought it was a toy. Mm. Um, the family, the families in this community aren't getting the support that they need. The children mm-hmm. are getting the support that they need. We're acting like people are operating on a, on a, on a set of choices like, mm, nah, I'm not going to go get that $80,000 a year job. That just sounds too easy. Like we have a set of choices that we're giving kids when we don't fund education and when we don't give kids supplies and field experiences and one-to-one learning and things mm-hmm. that rich affluent school districts get with high taxes, children don't operate on those sets of, of opportunities and choices. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call the school-to-prison pipeline. So <sighs> hmm.
1: um, we have some comments coming in from our Facebook yeah. live. i stop talking. <laughs> So I appreciate your passion for this. Um, Talana notes that we need to think about special education as a service and a support. It's not like we're giving out, you know, little candy. This isn't even supplemental. (laughs) This is something that's important and fundamental to education for students with disabilities who are supposed to be receiving special education services. And Talana also Mm -hmm. reminds us, it's okay to say disability. It's okay to say disability and disabilities. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something to be afraid of. And um, Amalia, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that there is still so much stigma floating around in the community around disabilities, around mental health. And I think that kind of plays into a lot of the budget decisions, budget. decisions that shortchange students with disabilities, mm-hmm. students who have mental illnesses, Students who need that extra support and that extra service. And I as well love your point about the the quality of the training of teachers who are walking into classrooms with students who have all of these challenges and they haven't been trained for it. I come from a family of educators. They're not teaching them about this stuff in school. My husband teaches educators. They're not teaching the education students about these things in their programs. So it, it does fall on districts to beef up what this, what their teachers are learning, what the staff is learning so that they can be successful in their mm-hmm. classrooms. Josh, I want to hear from you uh, because you've been quiet for a little bit. So, you
0: know, I appreciate what what Solana Jones mentioned right that that it's okay to say disability um you know and I accept that of course, um, but I think in my heart of hearts um I'm also leaning towards this idea of Ability, right? I, I think that oftentimes when we get into these discussions, it, it's yeah. too simplified. It's too easy to point out what they can't do, right? Or, or what yeah. the diagnosis, you know, what barrier it causes. And for me, yeah. I find that to be a little bit problematic, particularly in the populations that we've grown accustomed to serving. Because what I noticed quite often is students with uh, diagnoses or or with IEPs um, where, you know, it wasn't necessarily uh, problematic, right? It wasn't necessarily, quote unquote, noticeable. But then here you have another student um, who's Behaviors or emotions or or things that are noticeable, um, of course, go unaddressed. So I always like to really focus on, you know, what it is that we are seeing. Um, more than what we're not seeing, right, I think that a lot of our uh disability language really uh is prohibitive in in and of itself um and what I mean by that is that it, it limits right it, it it uh almost in many ways uh says that they can't or they won't right mm-hmm. um and and then those goals start to become um the baseline uh, of standards that we already have identified are unfair and unjust and inequitable, right? Mm -hmm. And so to circle all of this back into, you know, what it is that we believe in, and, and and which is part of our philosophy, really, is, is that there is um, this intent to learn. There, there is a desire to learn, right? There is um, the ability. To, to do those things. Now, the ability is really attached to uh, our ability as as educators to ensure that, as you mentioned, uh, Amalia and Sam, that, that we are gaining the experience that we need in order to deal with the populations that we serve, right? And so naturally, as a substitute teacher, Uh, I'm not necessarily certified, right? However, my professional uh, obligation is to seek out that information to be able to understand the populations that I'm serving. And and in my case, that required me to brush up on on a lot of the uh, aspects of what teachers would have been learning themselves within their own educational experiences. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I, I of course, have had plenty of experience uh, working with um, in and around uh, independent living, as well as, as group homes for for individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, and so to to be able to have previous experience bringing that into the classroom, you know, certainly that helped me to excel. Now there were components uh, of the educational process, right? That, that I'm not particularly familiar with. However, being somebody who is quite innovative and creative, uh, you know, those standards um, in all honesty, became secondary to ensuring mm-hmm. that I understood mm-hmm. fully who I was dealing with, uh, who's sitting, you know, uh, across from me or, or mm-hmm. in my classroom of 17 black and brown children. It was really important um, to establish that baseline first before I even really started to dig into what the paperwork said about this this student. It was really yeah. important me to gather up an assessment of each individual. And then, of course, put that into the context of the class. I said earlier, you know, students triggering other students, right? Even the teacher being a trigger. And I'll say this one last thing uh, in this tangent, (laughs) is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to, to be from an urban environment in order to teach students who live in an urban environment. However, if you are the type of, of individual who the only exposure really that you're having right, to an urban environment is in the workplace. I urge you and encourage you to to spend more time in the community, to come out and volunteer, you know, nights and weekends and integrate yourself into this community. I fully understand why folks prefer suburban or even rural living, um, you know, prior to returning to Syracuse eight years ago, I, I was living out in the country, it's peaceful. Um, however, that's, where our money's going right where we're we're watching our tax dollars shuffling out to ensure that other school districts are are sound whilst ours are not and Mm -hmm. so you know again to just sum all of those those things together uh we really have to know these kids before we can even get them to a level where they're ready to learn
1: yes Um, We have a couple comments coming in. Um, One is from the the live stream on Neurodiversity Consulting, LLC. And Liza, who is going to school right now to become a special education teacher, she confirms that teachers aren't getting a whole lot of training in meeting these complex needs of the students that we have coming through the classroom today. And, uh uh-oh, And Talana, who is watching the stream on Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse, she notes that the issue of providing services to students with disabilities is one of civil rights. It's a civil rights issue. Whether, Whether they're receiving services is a civil rights issue. And in that context, training the educators and the support staff and everyone who comes into contact with a student with a disability, is an act of protecting that student's civil rights. Now, Amalia, you wanted to make a comment?
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll even connect it to the piece of education being a civil right. That's kind of where my advocacy started with public schools was with the Save Our Schools Coalition and the Badass Teachers Association in Washington (laughs) DC in 2015. Um, and education being a fundamental civil right is the whole purpose of of education to begin with. That's why the entire institution even exists. Um, I wanted to make a few connections with diagnosed disabilities versus not diagnosed disabilities and how those are actually funded and prioritized because not only are we deficient in the system that exists to begin with for kids that have gone through you know, gotten to, 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 to a place, was their family able to know how to get them evaluated to get this developmental, this, this, this disability assessed to begin with, did they know how to see what's wrong with my child? So often mm. what I saw yes. in our city schools, in the so many city schools I've been in since 2005, in my field experiences, are children that are, are emotionally traumatized with undiagnosed, unmediated Um, emotional disturbances and trauma, um, and PTSD and, and things that don't even come close. I mean, to exhibit that amount of, 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 you know, anger among some of our little guys and, and, and the, the, uh, you know, kind of escalations that they would have, these children are just not being serviced to begin with. So in special education funding. You need the diagnosis to affect their grades. If it doesn't affect their grades, they're not going to pay for services for XYZ for the child. If you can get an IEP, great, the services on the IEP will fund the needs of the child. If the Mm -hmm. child doesn't have an academic deficiency, then they're not going to look at giving the child extra services as funded through insurance. Maybe you'll get a 504 plan if you're lucky, if the building will, 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 will create accommodations, and I'd like to frame FM school district that has denied parents. I remember a, a, a case a couple of years ago in the news about a family that wanted to pay for their own facilitated communicator. For their child that was, I believe, 16 years old. I mean, I could be misspeaking, but I believe this was quite a while of trying to get their child verbal. Like, this wasn't a little kid that was just figuring it out. And they're like, I will pay for it myself. And they still wouldn't let the the professional come in the district. That doesn't make any sense. This is not what's best for children. Um, Funding, I'm not sure because it's not the buildings. I mean, sure, the buildings have all of these needs that need to be fixed. But all you got to do is maintain the buildings. If The buildings cost you a dollar a year from the city per building. I mean, what was it, $26? I mean, I don't... I don't know. I don't know. There should be priorities. We'll take it right back to priorities and just people yeah. fixing this broken systems that they've created because the whole problem of how we even fund these systems to begin with, let alone getting the funding, then how people are trained with the funding, then how the information is disseminated. I know mean, there's so many broken connections that like, no wonder the kids can't make it.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, I one of the, they're... one of the big, <laughs> issues one of the big problems is that a lot of services they operate in silos the mental health people don't talk to the uh, developmental disability people don't talk to the substance abuse people these things all occur within the same body they all influence the same brain but the services don't flow like that they don't flow like it's possible (sighs) to have a developmental disability and a mental illness. And the two of those things are playing together and they're gonna impact a person's daily living. It, right. They're gonna impact how, how someone functions in the classroom. Exactly. So how do we get people to recognize what we as lay people, people who are interacting with children and adults like this every day, how do we get the people who are supposed to be helping them to? understand this? And how do we get them to prioritize these services, these integrated services in the budget? Because we know nothing happens until somebody somewhere allocates a budget line.
0: Yeah, Sam, I think that that is an important consideration. You know, Amalia talked about priority, right? Uh, We talked about access, right? We can't access what isn't there, right? And we know that our resources are strained. How do we begin to get folks to prioritize? I truly believe that, again, we all know what the issue is. We know that that there is certainly not enough money to meet the needs, right? We spoke, uh, I think, on the previous episode about the sheer value of our student body in Syracuse, right? We we know that 34% of Onondaga County students go to the same school district. We also know that that particular school district is number one in the country for concentrated poverty among Black and Latino populations, right? We know yes. these things. So none of this is a secret. We know that that uh, we have struggled financially to get reimbursements from the state, right, to get our full portion, although that portion certainly is not enough and it's hugely disproportionate when we're talking mm-hmm. about some of these other suburban school districts. How do we begin to make sure that this is priority? Well, some of the things that I, I would Offer up uh, to, to both the city and the county is a commuter tax. It, just looking at the 4,000 plus staff and faculty at SESD, just 1%, 1% of their salary would yield millions of dollars a year that could immediately go into things like mental health supports and paraprofessionals, right? 1%. And that's if, and the average, you know, salary is of somewhere around fifty, fifty-five thousand $55,000. That would yield us millions of dollars for all of those individuals who do prefer to live out in the suburbs and, and in, in country settings. Kudos to them, but we have to start making sure that, that procedures, policies, and protocol are all inclusive of concepts like this. Nobody surely wants to pay taxes, right? But, but annually, for, for each individual person, it winds up to be peanuts. We spend, you know, four or five, six bucks a day uh, on a cup of coffee, Right. But we can invest that same kind of energy and attention and priority, as Amalia said, into our students who we know are struggling. We know they're suffering. And even even the students right, who are coming from privilege or, or they're OK. They're not okay because no. they're affected by the traumas and the triggers of everyone else in their environment. When when teachers show up and have had a crappy day mm-hmm. or, or got into a fight with their yes. spouse. Yes. We know that, that that contributes to the course of their day. Come on, there's no way yes. that it doesn't. So when we have a young person who's showing up, who's hungry, or, or who's was up all night, you know, listening to ambulances or, or, or gunshots even, right, that's not yeah. uh, normal, but it's not uncommon. Either. So we know that this is not going to be the last time that something like this happens to a kid like Judson. And until we make sure that, again, these uh, policies, right, and these procedures uh, are inclusive uh, 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 of the idea that we don't have a tax base in Syracuse, that, that people aren't living in Syracuse, right? That a lot of folks aren't contributing in Syracuse. So there's a lot of of withdrawals happening in Syracuse. We need people to start making some deposits. That's what brought me down from Jamesville DeWitt in the first place. That's what made me enroll my students, my kids into the district, right? I needed them mm. to have another experience. I needed them to see uh, uh, that their trauma, right, is not unique, and that there were tons of other kids in their school who were dealing with the exact same things yes. that we were, yes. and much more than that. They really got a chance to see some of the traumas that that and and disabilities and and, and all of these things that they would have otherwise not got the chance. The transition hmm. into the district as as a family not strong at all like not strong at all not something that that i, I can really brag about um, and mm-hmm. I know that as 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 an educator myself, someone with three professional degrees uh, and, and more to come, tons of certifications and 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 all of those professional training programs under my belt, I, I can assure you that if it was this complex and this arduous to mm-hmm. enroll my yes. own student and then disenroll them so that they could be homeschooled and then enroll them again, right? Because <laughs> affectionately of COVID um, and then get them sent back home all in the same whirlwind um, it was not easy, and so I think about our, our new American uh, neighbors. I think about refugees. I think about parents uh, just like you, Sam, uh, who have a full plate, um, yeah. And, and, yeah. and perhaps, uh, and of course, the families that that again there are language barriers or uh, educational barriers, and just understanding how all of this works. That's why we do what we do at the Academy of Excellence. Mm-hmm. That that's effectually how we can begin to chip away at some of these uh, missing components. It's not our school's fault. It, it's not the administration's fault, right? This is decades and centuries of systemic uh, procedures that really, um, in a lot of ways, were intended to create the outcomes that we see.
1: Yes, and Amelia, I'll, I'll let you make your comment real quick, but Josh, as you were speaking, it reminded me of what immediately dropped into my spirit when my first child got his first diagnosis. I, you know, We went into the doctor's office already knowing, yep, yeah, this kid's autistic. So his diagnosis was, you're right, your child's autistic. Like, what do we do about it? There was no one to tell us what to do, and we had to figure it out for ourselves. I'm a super nerd. My husband at the time, he was working on his PhD. We knew how to research. We knew how to ask questions. We knew where to look. We knew how to harass people until they gave us the information we needed. And thinking about that, all of the work that we had to do, I immediately thought, what about those families? The families that have already been failed by the education system who don't know where to look, who don't know how to harass people to get their answers, who didn't get to go to college, who maybe didn't get to finish high school. How are they supposed to navigate this broken system and fight for the education that their children deserve? And that is part of why I do all the work that I do. It's part of why I'm the spokesperson for Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse It's why I started my business, Neurodiversity Consulting, LLC. It's why I founded Sancia A. Calendar Incorporated to help support families of students with disabilities. And it's also why I'm here at the Academy of Excellence, because there is so much wrong that families need so much help and support. There are still people who don't realize that their students, because they have an An IEP and a diagnosis, they qualify for services and supports, and no one is telling them. I'm the one telling them. And that just blows. I'm not surprised, to be honest. Um, It's frustrating, but I am no longer surprised by that. Amalia?
2: Uh, I wanted to make the connection, actually, I mean, I guess it's a good segue with what both of you were saying as far as creating inclusive environments, not only for the children, but also for families to enter Mm. um, these different contexts and places and job opportunities. I mean, we talk about wanting educators and police officers to be from the community that they serve, but there aren't... you know, accessible pathways to these professional certification programs. I mean, if you don't go to college and don't get the hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and don't, you know, fill out the forms and go through the little steps that this one pathway has provided, you know, it's a closed system. It's a closed system of privilege. It's a privilege system that says, I know how to apply for college. I can apply. I can get accepted. And then I can make it and then I can feel comfortable enough to stay. And then, you know, I mean, I, I think that we have non-inclusive environments in so many different ways because, you know, the 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 need for higher education, um you know, fixing as well has also come into this conversation, mm. I think, because we have teachers not being properly and thoroughly trained, and then we have pathways that don't exist equitably. Yeah. There's not, you know, without that predetermined set of privileges, um, mm. you know, that I found accessible as a white woman from suburbia, you know what I mean? Um that not everybody's going to find accessible and then okay you want teachers from the community but how are teachers and and families from the community going to get trained do they all have to then start a four-year program and now that we've changed from writing our own lesson plans to just regurgitating information the state wants to give us through these modules I mean really we need (laughs) to fix it we need to fix it
1: (laughs) Um We have a, another viewer comment, Angie, who's viewing on my Facebook page, Samantha Pierce, Hi. notes that we need to chat about the number of ways that these issues transcend the urban environment into rural communities as well, yes, mm-hmm. and then brainstorm on how to bring services to all youth in all settings equally, including those who are native yes, Angie, yes, 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 because this lack of it seems like a lack of care, a lack of interest mm-hmm. in providing a sound basic education. That's the that's <laughs> legal word. That's, like, that's what's in all the court documents. This lack of interest in, in providing a sound basic education, it doesn't just rear its ugly head in urban districts. Rural districts are suffering from this same lack of interest in providing a quality education. Mm-hmm. And I can
0: certainly attest to that, you know, as I mentioned early on, I prior to returning to Syracuse, uh, was in a rural community. I actually worked as a, a family advocate for North Norwich Head Start um, and saw some of the most extreme poverty I've ever seen in my life. A- and we know poverty in Syracuse. Um, what I can say, uh, Angie, of course, thank you for tuning in to uh, Fireside Chat Fridays with your host, Samantha Pierce on uh, www.straightmdradio.com, of course, YouTube and Facebook. Uh, You know, how do we get these services and that precedence and priority? you know, this uh, COVID pandemic has offered us up the opportunity to do what we're doing now. I don't think any of us really thought how impactful uh, being able to expand a platform uh, and be able to, to bring the world to your issue. Um, and, and so, Angie, my, my recommendation to you really is that you use things like this to to engage educate and empower your community the same way that we're doing here in syracuse we have you know policy we have uh, programming and productions that we can assist you all with up there in 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 rural environments um we know that that, of course, access to things are going to be a huge concern in a rural environment. And, and, and I think that we oftentimes, as you mentioned, forget about how closely the rural experience does uh, reflect in some of these urban environments. We talk about food deserts in urban environments. They have food deserts out in, in, in rural environments, particularly if you're dealing with people who who have never had to uh, farm or, or learn to be sustainable on uh, land or property, property, right? So we know that that Gardening and agriculture, it's a skill, it's a craft, right? Everybody is not necessarily set up. I had to learn over the course of okay. last summer, right? How to grow things uh, for, for my family. Uh, and so when we're talking about actual services, there's a lot of work that is still left to do. There's a number of things that we can do collectively, such as marching on Albany, marching on Washington, sending out letters, calling the governor, those things do work. They do listen to constituents, right? We have to use our voices uh, and stop operating as individuals. Uh, we are, in fact, parts of a whole. And when we come yes. together as a whole, just like we are this evening, um, and as we intend to continue, whether we're talking about the Academy of Excellence or straightendradio.com, Sanchia.org. Any of of the organizations that are connected, uh, we are connected. And that is why we've been successful this last year. That is why we are able to be contracted to write some of of these policies and and procedures for organizations, for schools, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things I've been criticized about uh, hugely is my interest and involvement in, in charter schools, and Amalia, you can
2: attest to that. You are charter. Yeah, school- but I need to talk about I need to talk about urban schools and <laughs> nation school real quick, though, while before I lose my thought. Okay, we'll go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I will forget. Um, so, because I wanted to make sure I addressed what Angie was saying, because I also have experience as teaching in the in the rural environment in New Berlin, New York. Um, For a couple of years, it was actually my first teaching job after I got my undergrad. I think I was, it was before I even worked on my master's. Um, And then what's going on with the Lafayette School District and how they kind of take charge of the nation school and some kind of disrespects that have happened in that regard because we have two different problems. The way that rural schools suffer, the same way that urban schools suffer, is because they're denied the same amounts of money based on taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole fact that We have children that are living in trailers or campers or not secure home environments is another connection. Uh, You have children that are coming to school with the same deficiencies that aren't being met in communities or in the schools when it comes to food, as Josh mentioned. Um, you know, food deserts, but also accessibility, you know, uh, and getting it to the families, the social services, the things that aren't funded to begin with. So I think those are a lot of the ways that rural schools and urban schools share some of the same story. Um, Another thing I wanted to mention, because she asked about Native American education, which is a very, very, very complicated subject in our public school systems, because these are schools that should have sovereign undisturbed control of their own school. And if we look at the Onondaga nation school that tried to get even their own principal seated a couple of years ago, and the Lafayette school district was quite disrespectful to the nation. Mm. Um, They disrespected their choice and they said, no, they had a highly qualified woman that was waiting for paperwork. She finished already she had finished her degree program. She's waiting on paperwork. They said, we want a native teaching our students. We do not want somebody. We do not want another white man teaching our kids. And I don't know how else to to put that. That was a very specific, easy, simple ask. We would like somebody from our own culture teaching and running our school that Hmm. we have to participate to get this funding. They have to go through these these contractual agreements. They don't want to have to be in to begin with. That's the idea of sovereignty. They shouldn't have to participate in United States government contracts. They shouldn't have to beg for funding from the United States government, from the Lafayette School District, to have their own representation in their own schools, and then to have the Lafayette School District instead pull somebody off of retirement to be the principal of that school, instead of who they said here's a qualified mm-hmm. individual we would like for our own school. Could you please hire her? And they're like, no. New York state has very specific policies. They have to hold this degree first. Yeah.
1: I, I remember.
2: I, I <laughs> so remember those were my like two connections.
1: Story, I, like, I didn't oh. mean to interrupt because Josh wanted to talk about
2: <laughs> charter schools. So I just wanted to cover those two pieces. Cause I know that came out first. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Josh, before you get to charter schools, some people might be wondering, why Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse, is talking about school rural school districts, is talking about the nation's school district. It's because Syracuse sits at the heart of Onondaga County and we are all connected. What happens here in Syracuse influences what happens out in the rural districts. What happens in Jamesville? clearly influences what happens here in Syracuse. So we are all interconnected and there's no, you can't separate us out. So the problems of one are the problems of all. So if there are any of you listening from school districts outside of Syracuse who want to start your own Parents for Public Schools chapter, drop us a note on the Parents for Public Schools Syracuse Facebook page and we will hook you up. Because as Josh says, We need to unite our voices in demanding what is right for our students. Now, on to charter schools and, okay, let's see how this works.
0: Yeah, so I think more than, you know, us needing to, to, to come together, we have to come together. Like, at this stage in the game, we can't operate to in these ways any longer, right? We are seeing and the reason why I, I, I mentioned and brought up charter schools and things for circling back to it. Um, we know that that many of those students are our students and, and, and they return back or or in, in many ways, and I've seen this plenty of times, shifting back and forth. It doesn't make sense for us to be paying the charter school bill or having to hold that money for the charter schools until the end of the year if we're not abreast with what they're working on and we're not supporting what they're working on. It just simply doesn't make sense. Perhaps if we were more apt to connect with you know, charter schools or connect with outside organizations, um, and individuals, then we would have a better opportunity of understanding what, is, what the real gaps are and how we can work collectively to fill them. We can no longer afford to continue to fight over the crumbs that the state of New York is giving us to educate these children. As I said, we cannot begin to teach unless their most basic needs have been met. Yeah, I'll say that one more time. They're not going to be ready to learn until their most basic needs are met. So if they're yes. coming to school, you know, undiagnosed, they're not going to be ready to learn. If they're coming to school hungry, not ready to learn. If they're coming to school with trauma that is not being addressed and dealt with, they're not going to be ready mm-hmm. to learn. And sadly, that impacts, as I mentioned, the entire classroom, the entire environment the whole school and and, and in essence it, it does affect the entire district what I'll say you know as uh, I have to to conclude my spot uh, this mm-hmm. evening it, it is this when we are moving into a space where we continue to only have conversation we have to move, out of the contemplative state and begin to move into action. We cannot afford to continue to bury our children. Yes. We cannot afford to continue to watch uh, children who would otherwise be successful. Really think about that. Students in other districts who might Mm -hmm. be struggling with some of the very same things, oftentimes the outcomes are different. What Judson's situation proves is, is that it can catch up to any district. It doesn't matter whether you're living in the suburbs. It doesn't matter whether you're living in a rural community. What truly matters is that these issues are systemic. These issues are at a level that are well beyond anyone's school district. Our commissioners of education, our school board members must work together School board to school board, district to district in order to leverage the same messages back up in Albany and ensure that our students stop being shortchanged, that our Mm. faculty and staff are properly trained and have the resources and the tools that they need to educate that are not coming out of their own pockets right? We see that constantly. We have to ensure that we get the right people to the table and that the right people are prepared not only to identify problems, but to come to the table with the level of experience and connectivity in order to make an immediate impact on our school district. We are failing these children.
1: Yes, and I'll say it again. I might end up saying this every episode. Hunger Games-type ways of governing, we have to stop playing along with that. We have to stop fighting against each other and fight together so that all of us have what we need. Now, we are out of time for tonight, and I'm sure everybody wants to get back to their families. This is Fireside Chat Friday, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools Syracuse. We are on straight independent radio, as well as Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much, Amalia and Josh, for joining me after the wow! This incredibly stressful and emotional week. <laughs> we will be back again next week. We are live live streamed every Friday at six p.m. on the Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse Facebook page. We're also on Chia A. Calendar Inc. Facebook page, Neurodiversity Consulting LLC Facebook page. We're on Justice for Judson. And we are also on my personal Facebook page, Samantha Pierce. Thank you for joining us. And if you've got questions, drop them, we'll answer them.
0: I just want to say one last thing, Samantha. Make sure everybody checks out www.we r. Excellence.com, we are Excellence.com. Don't forget the dashes. We have Justice for Judson t shirts. One third of the funds raised through this t shirt fundraiser, one third will go uh, directly to the family, and then another third will go to our scholarship uh, bank, which of course will be awarded to a young person uh, mm-hmm. who identifies either on the spectrum of autism or has identifiable mental health uh, disparities just like Judson. So you can find out more Mm -hmm. information about that uh, at the Academy of Excellence and WeAreExcellence.com. This is Joshua Michael King, uh, support Samantha Pierce, and everybody at www.straightindieradio.com. This is Fireside Chat Fridays with your host, Samantha Pierce.